All right. We're gonna do it the scan away. I'm gonna suck your brain dry. That's right. We are back. This is the Mars Magazine Podcast. This is Adario Strange here with... Vic Song. And this week is none other than Comic-Con. Comic-Con, which brings us a cavalcade of news, a a basket full of uh, new science fiction and fantasy. We're going to stick with the science fiction. But actually, before we get to Comic-Con, I just want to mention uh, a show that we talked about, um, I guess, one or two episodes ago, uh, Stranger Things on Netflix. Now, I just have to say, so when we mentioned this before... We weren't completely sure whether it was like science fiction and fantasy or a mix of the two or if it was like some sort of like supernatural kind of thing. It was kind of vague based on the trailer. Um, I've now seen the entire uh, eight episode series. It is solidly in the realm of science fiction. And by now you've probably seen uh, Stephen King tweet out that it's uh, like a greatest hits of his of his own work. And he, <laughs> he means that in a good way. This is. Amazing. I can't, I'm gushing. I like, I can't, there are no words to express how good this is. This, I, I didn't like high school. Okay. <laughs> this makes me want to go back to high school. That's how, oh. these are the best child actors I have seen. Everyone turned in an amazing performance. The cinematography is great. The, the script is great. Uh, the music, the logo. We, we already mentioned the logo, like when we first saw it. And that was kind of, I guess that was kind of like the first scent, uh, hint that this was going to be something special. But I can, I'm here to tell you that this is kind of like, um, it's like the best parts of Spielberg, Stephen King, and on some small level, maybe John Carpenter all mixed together in what is just, probably one of the best things netflix has ever done and um it's by the duffer brothers they're two uh twin twin directors uh you, you've only seen like the first episode right right i've only seen the first episode and the first episode it, you just get gra- gripped in and grabbed in like right away the mystery is set up really well um and as you said the child actors are amazing because you know this is kind of a story that could be like made or broken completely based on like the skill of these child actors and like, they're really good. I was, I was surprised because, you know, bad child acting has, you know, I've turned off uh, a show or walked out. Actually, I don't walk out of movie theaters, but you know, I've turned it off because I really didn't like a child actor, but they're all incredibly solid. Yeah. And it's, and usually there's like one standout and I have to say all of these kids are good. Like they're great. Yeah. Like from, you know, from the, the little girl. Have you been, have, I can't remember if uh, episode one has a little girl. Have you seen the, a little yeah, girl yet? Yeah, she, the little girls in, in Yeah, from the little one. girl with her powers to the, the little crew. Everyone is just, I, I just can't say enough good things about this. So if you have time, Stranger Things on Netflix, check it out. Must see. This is, you know, I don't really watch Netflix series uh, twice. I plan to watch this again. That's how good this is. This is like really good. So anyway, moving on to Comic-Con. Um, we had, a, so th- as the gods would have it, we decided <laughs> this week to schedule our, uh, our recording a little bit later than usual. And as the, the gods of geekery, the geek gods would have it, we uh, actually landed in a great place because today all the announcements came out at Comic-Con. We saw... Uh, Justice League and Wonder Woman. We saw the trailer for Justice League, which shows Batman, uh, in his Bruce Wayne mode, uh, recruiting members of the Justice League. He's recruiting Cyborg, The Flash, um, Aquaman. Aquaman, who seems like pretty much like a badass in, in the trailer. Yeah. <laughs> um, pretty good. And then, uh, I, we also see The Flash is kind of, yeah, I'm starting to get this sense that, you know, if you're a DC lover out there, I apologize, but I have to say this. <laughs> um, I get the sense that we're, that DC is like paying very close attention to Marvel because I, I watched this trailer and they have a scene where the Flash meets Batman for the first time. And it seemed exactly like the first time Iron Man meets the new Spider-Man in the latest Avengers. I had the same exact thought. It was just word like thought for thought the same exact thing because I was watching that and I was like, oh yeah, he's like nerdy Spider-Man except the Flash for DC. Uh, it, that kind of made me feel like, okay, are we just 
going over familiar ground? Are you guys not going to like do anything new? So I don't know. And then they also revealed kind of like the first promotional image of the entire Justice League together. So that was kind of cool. It's a beautiful image. I, you know, I got to be honest, even as a comic book fan, I was never into the Justice League. I always <laughs> felt like it was a little lightweight, a little cornball-y. Um, Where's Superman? Isn't Superman part of the Justice League? I think in the trailer they show him very briefly. I don't think they show him you know, exhibiting his powers or anything. But if okay. memory serves, they show him very, very briefly – I don't know, glancing somewhere in his square lantern jaw looking handsome or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but, I uh, missed that. But, okay, but now let's get to the to the good stuff. The good trailer, the amazing trailer was the trailer for Wonder Woman. I am good. psyched. Did yeah. you, I mean, how good is this? I mean, the, so, okay, so the, the trailer is set in World War One, and it starts with uh, Wonder Woman uh, finding uh, Chris Pine – from uh, you know Captain Kirk, uh, Chris Pine on a beach, well on the beach of her island, uh, the island where her and her kind, all women, uh, live, and uh, she's never seen a man before, and yeah, that's where you know, the trailer starts. You know, I gotta say that opening scene as kind of like this is a little Little Mermaid ish, but I'm <laughs> I'm there, I'm there, okay, right, right, yeah, and so, so th- they show a ton. Of ass kicking from Wonder Woman, just it looks great. See, the th- I keep telling people that you know when I saw Batman versus Superman, I think my favorite part was the part with Wonder Woman fighting um, Doomsday, and I get now I understand why. I, for some reason, I don't know. Just maybe I miss Xena, Warrior Princess. I don't know <laughs> what's going on. Red Sonia. Maybe I haven't had enough of that in my life. But I just. I love seeing her with the acrobatics and the sword and just looking badass. And then there's like uh, in the trailer, she has like the shield. I mean, it just it looks amazing. And, you know, I think it's a really good chance for DC to kind of try and snatch the momentum away from Marvel because Marvel's just like that. That Marvel's been like a train with with all these movies, but they have yet to put out a full uh, full length feature with a female lead. Like, you know, you have Black Widow in the uh, Avengers, but she's never had her own solo movie. And even though they're coming out with Captain Marvel, uh, which I believe is Carol Danvers, um, later, I forget what year that's coming out, but it's not coming out for a while yet. So DC has this chance to kind of snatch the momentum and steal back the narrative with Wonder Woman, because I'm really excited to actually have a first solo female superhero movie. Yeah. And, and, well, interestingly, like, on that point, like, uh, throughout the trailer, she just keeps dropping these amazing, uh, I guess you'd call them female empowerment uh, phrases, you know. uh, There's that, um, the bit with the secretary, where where he's like, what's a a secretary? Uh, I just do everything he says I do, and when when he needs it, she's like, oh, on my island, we call that slavery. Yeah. Um, And I was actually watching the trailer with a female friend of mine, and she went like, ho-ho! Let's watch the movie! So, you know, I think I, I mean, obviously, on some level, they put that in there for the girls to just be like, yeah, yeah, you you know, you definitely want to check this out. And I got to say, it worked. It totally worked. Well, the thing about it, so speaking as a, as a dude, as a bro, mm-hmm. um, I have to say, it was in context. See, one thing I hate is when films try to make, like, some sort of, like, political or kind of, like, just a nod to some particular group, but it's forced – I felt like everything she said was completely in context. I bought everything she said. Like that there was no moment where I was like, oh, okay. All right, yeah, feminism. Yeah. No, never <laughs> felt that. You know, so I, I'm I'm excited. I think they they did at least from the trailer, it sounds like they did a good job, or it looks like they did a good job. Gal Gal Gadot, I think yeah, I'm saying think, it right. Gal, Gal Gadot. She just she kicks ass, man. I just I can't wait to see this. And that and the theme song. Oh, yeah. The theme um, yeah. song is pretty kick-ass. Yeah, immediately, like, after watching the uh, trailer, I immediately, like, you know, just went to the weights, just hit some weights, <laughs> you know, to the theme song. Uh, anyway, so both of those films are coming out 2017. And so next, we also saw today, as you can tell, today was just Comic-Con Dump Day. They just dumped a ton of goodness on us. And I'm, I'm we're appreciative, you know. Uh, they also dropped the trailer for Kong Skull Island. And this is basically a remake of the old King Kong story. 
where um, <laughs> hapless humans go to this mysterious island and find a giant gorilla. Oh. And uh, I guess the, the what appears to be the difference here is usually uh, when they tell the tale of King Kong, you know, they go to the island and I guess they're looking for whatever, you know, you mm-hmm. know curiosities. And, you know, King Kong falls in love with, you know, some pretty woman in their party or whatever. Well, not this time. This <laughs> this is like straight up war. This is like there's actually a scene in this trailer that looks like it was ripped straight out of Apocalypse Now. Mm. I mean, did, did that? Did you recognize that? Yeah. Like I couldn't when I was watching the trailer, I couldn't tell whether they were going for a contemporary or retro feel. Right. Like, you know, and I think that's uh, the Apocalypse Now feel that you're talking about, because it looked somewhat like, I was like, is this in the 70s? Is this in the 60s? What, what is this now? I couldn't really, t- you know, they were just in, like, all this safari gear and just the way their weapons looked. I didn't, I don't think I saw technology that we have today, like cell phones or anything like that, so. Yeah, it almost seemed purposely vague on that point. Yeah, yeah. it did. And so I'm, I'm, I'm of mixed emotions on this because it, there's, there's a good part and a bad part. So the good part is the cast. This cast is amazing. We have Samuel L. Jackson. Mm-hmm. We have John Goodman. We have John C. Riley. We have Brie Larson from, uh, Room. And we have Loki. Yeah. Well. Hiddleston, Tom Hiddleston. Yeah, know. no, he's on my shit list after <laughs> Crimson Peak, so oh, come on. <laughs> we'll see if he ever gets back on the good list. No, 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 but, come on. Keep it real. We know why he's on your shit list. Yeah. Tell, tell, tell us why he's really on your shit okay, list. Okay, the Swift <laughs> thing. Okay, whatevs. That, that, he, dude wants Bond so bad that he wants to go through that whole PR rigmarole. I don't know, maybe he actually has feelings. But what, wait, what if he's the only one who can destroy her? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. That is the Dark Lord Kanye. And we must put all of our faith into the Dark Lord Kanye and his Dark Queen, Kim Kardashian. I can't even believe I said that sentence. Yeah, that I, happened. That happened that on happened. the Mars podcast. Yes. So anyway, um, so, so you have this amazing cast, but then they don't really show King Kong much in the trailer. But the little glimpses that we see of King Kong, and I don't know how he came off to you, but I have to say he looked like a giant teddy bear. Like, I mean, he didn't look like a scary, ferocious giant. I mean, a, a a regular sized ape in real life is terrifying. Even though you know a lot of them are supposed to be gentle or whatever. Well, you know that news story a few months ago where was it the kid fell into the gorilla cage? Oh, can we not? Go? Okay, all right. You yes, know, yes. That, you know, the, and it became I'm, a meme. I know. Yes. No, what I'm trying to say is that they still, even if they're gentle giants, they still can incite like fear because they're just so powerful. Did you see? the peter jackson version of king kong i've seen every version okay. of king kong i am an aficionado okay of so the king kong I'm going story to refer to you because i haven't really seen the old ones and all i've seen is the peter jackson one um that movie was not on my top whatever list it just was kind of goofy and then i don't know if putting jack black in the film kind of tonally made it weird for me but just the whole thing felt like a cgi tour and you know i'm a little worried that this might be a cgi tour as well but then if the monster well not the monster if kong doesn't look cool and if he's not you know compelling or like scary then it's just no point well i have a theory i think you may be onto something with your godzilla comment um because you know in the godzilla films generally uh most of the films the Godzilla films are driven by the humans and Godzilla maybe shows up, you know, just a few times. Whereas in the King Kong movies, I feel like, you know, Kong is, you know, a lot more involved. I think the hint here is that you have actors who are all known for being like very, they're, they're good in, you know, they're good. They, they love good scripts. They're, they're, they're known for being, you know, in dramatic uh, you know, really, really strong dramatic performances. I mean, you don't put John C. Riley next to Samuel L. Jackson and expect, you know, you know, just short dialogue. I mean, you expect like some good stuff to happen. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing about monster films is that, yes, you do need an interesting plot for the humans. But, you know, when sometimes they forget that this is a monster film and we've come for the monster, and they just spend too much time with the humans, then you just get people who are pissed off. Like, I get pissed off if it's just too much human time. I want to see some, you know, things getting blown to bits. I want to see some 
rampaging, you know? <sighs> well, I mean, so I mean, just on that note, just to kind of wrap up, I mean, didn't it seem a little overly violent? It seemed crazy. <laughs> like, I think half of it was just like, oh my God, humans and the hubris. We are Icarus flying into the sun. And then just the entire crew, all the men going like, oh my God, there's fire everywhere. AK-47. Well, I don't know if they're AK-47s, but like guns full firing. And they're just like machine, machine guns, guns. And they just all have like this look of scared determination. And they're firing these... I mean, it was Apocalypse Now for monsters. It yeah. was insane. It, it looked like a war movie. <laughs> and so, and one last thing that uh, Comic-Con brought us today was Star Trek. Well, the Star Trek TV series that's coming to CBS and Netflix. And we found out the name and we got a trailer. Uh, so the name of the new Star Trek is Star Trek Discovery. And the trailer was... Um, there were no humans. <laughs> it was, you know, it was just a spaceship, uh, like the launch of a spaceship into uh, outer space. I, I'm curious what you thought. But this is the one thing I did take from it. I thought that it looked a little grittier, like not in the sense of darker, but it looked like the ship was a bit older, a little less high tech. Did did you get that sense? I didn't get that sense. The sense I got was that it was poorly designed. I've seen. I hate to sound like some sort of Trek snob. <laughs> I just feel like I've seen like a number of different, you know, uh, starship designs in the Star Trek universe. You know, uh, this looked like something, uh, this, this looked like a bad science fiction spaceship. I, I don't know. It's just, I was not encouraged. Um, oh, well, you know, I think I was trying to give it the benefit of the doubt. I was like, oh, you know, the Enterprise and the movies look so shiny. But this one, maybe they're, they're like going for a Battlestar Galactica look. Like, yeah, maybe. But again, we can't judge. I mean, look, we, we can only be happy that Star Trek is not dead. <laughs> and I, the, what the biggest thing in favor in this in this uh, property's favor is the fact that Netflix has already signed on because – Although this is not something that is produced by Netflix, at this point, I'm beginning to just uh, – I'm beginning to trust Netflix. So I'm hoping some of the Netflix cool juice <laughs> or whatever, you know, the, the – you know, whatever magic Netflix has right now rubs off on this property. Because just based on the, the trailer, I'm not encouraged. Well, we'll see. We'll see. It's still, still a ways away. Still a ways away. Yeah, we shall see. Speaking of Star Trek, <laughs> that's what we're going to speak uh, or talk about this week is the movie, Star Trek Beyond, directed by Justin Lin, produced by J.J. Abrams, and uh, written in part by Simon Pegg. Star Trek Beyond. My dad joined Starfleet because he believed in it. I joined on a dare. You joined to see if you could live up to him. You spent all this time trying to be your father. Now you're wondering just what it means to be you. It isn't uncommon, you know. It's easy to get lost in the vastness of space. There's only yourself. Your ship, your crew. You really want to head back out there, huh? And so that's a brief snippet of the action uh, that we are treated to in Star Trek Beyond. I saw it in IMAX uh, a couple of days ago. You saw it, uh, I think, today, right? Yeah, I saw it today. So you're getting some fresh and hot, piping hot takes today. Hot takes. And so we should just say right from the outset, spoilers for Star Trek Beyond. Wow. Where to start? Where <laughs> to start? I mean... Well, well, you are the resident Trekkie of the Mars Magazine podcast, so... Dario, let's uh, to take us away. Take us away. What was your what was your gut reaction? Well, my gut reaction is I, I see what they're doing here, or I see what they're trying, what they tried to do here. I'm not sure it was entirely successful. I've had it's kind of unfair. I wish I almost we were recording this right after I saw it because that was I, I like my hot take better than my take now. My take now is. Almost every Star Trek movie has been this awkward 
kind of stumble from like like it I, I feel like the television series are are always kind of like this even episodic exploration into stories and into personalities and characters. Whereas I feel like even, you know, the ones with Shatner, all yeah, and the ones with um uh Jean-Luc Picard, Patrick Stewart. I feel like all the Star Trek movies are somehow awkward and somewhat out of their element. And I think the same holds true here. However, the difference for me here is that, well, I guess we can go back to the whole Sulu uh, controversy where mm-hmm. Simon Pegg tells us that we're, you know, he basically explains everything away as this being an alternate universe. I, you know, I feel like they, on some level, did away with the thinking part of Star Trek. You know, what, what I love about mm-hmm. Star Trek, uh, and why I always tell, why I always recommend Star Trek to people who haven't seen it, whether it's the old series, Next Generation, the movies, is that it's thinking science fiction. It's, it's science fiction about real issues, about, you know, interpersonal, interpersonal relationships. Um, it's not just lasers and fights and, you know, alien anger, you know, against humans or something. There's always like, you know, some, you know, philosophical or moral interplay. And I Mm -hmm. feel like in this case, we didn't get that. And I think part of that has to do with the combination of Simon Pegg as writer and mm-hmm. Justin Lin as director. So now think about it. Simon Pegg wrote uh, movies like Hot Fuzz, which I love, by the way. Uh, Justin Lin is behind. He's the director of many or uh, several uh, Fast and Furious movies, which I enjoy those movies for what they are. But when I see those movies, I, I'm not thinking. My brain is mm-hmm. essentially turned off. I'm just along for the ride. And so I think the conceit or the idea was that they were go- they were going to pair – Simon Pegg, who has he's very good at mixing action with these very witty, you know, dialogue interchanges and and kind of semi-complicated plots. But the action is never amazing. And so I thought it was kind of like a very ambitious and clever combination to put Pegg, Simon Pegg, with Justin Lin. So you get the guy who knows his action and then the guy who knows, you know, kind of this witty, you know, dialogue interplay and, you know, kind of, you know, circuitous plots that kind of like have interesting payoffs. And I just don't think it worked. I, I think you, you go throughout the film from my vantage point from these, you see these beautiful, I have to say visually, I think this is perhaps the most stunning, uh, Star Trek I've ever seen. It's just beautiful. And I, you know, maybe it has to do with the fact that I saw it on IMAX. I don't know. Um, visually it's amazing. And the action is pretty good. But then when they shift to, you know, one-on-one dialogue, you know, characters talking to one another, I feel like I'm watching a different movie. And I don't mean just from the tone, even the look, it doesn't look like the same movie. It looks like it was shot on a different camera. You know, um, it just, it's, I feel like I'm watching two different movies. And so for me, it was very awkward in that respect. I can just keep, I, I have more to go, but I mean, well, like, what were your initial thoughts? Kind of going on what you were saying, I, I think they were trying to put in a bigger intellectual question in there. And it's like, who are you when you're in space? What is it when you're in the middle? Because, you know, this isn't a traditional trilogy. Like, I've, I just found out recently that they're going to be doing this as like a five movie thing for the five year mission that they have. So, you know, if that's the case, then you don't really have a trilogy arc happening so there's no I don't know how to deal with the continuity of you know the first movie to the second movie to the third movie and then just the one thing that I think that all three of the Star Trek movies have in common is that the villain is generally not that strong and so if you have the villain and he's not presenting a question that the crew needs to like the crew needs to answer then, you know, you just don't really have any stakes in what's happening. Not really. Like, you ha- kind of have, in this movie, you have the stakes that, you know, um, Crawl, played by Idris Elba, wants to destroy Yorktown, which I was like, really? You're going to name it Yorktown? Oh, okay. Like, sure. Um, that's weird. Uh, but, um, you know, he wants to destroy Yorktown because why? 
I, I, he explains it, but I was just very like, that makes zero sense. You had to kind of reach into your butt and pull out some sort of answer that does anything. Whereas, you know, if he had an actual conundrum that Kirk, I, I think Peg was trying to set up that crawl was what Peg, um, what Kirk could have been if he wasn't careful or in some way, or he could have very much, you know, been the same type of person, but all by some grace of whatever the magicalness of the Enterprise crew, he didn't end up that way. Or it was like a cautionary tale type thing, but it just kind of fell flat and it just didn't, you know, and then they were trying some new pairings with like, I think they had Spock with Bones a lot in this film or just mixing things up a bit. And it just, I don't know, it didn't really feel organic in any sense. Yeah. It kind of felt like it felt like the middle child of a of a series and you're just trying to get to the next one. Just to go back to Justin Lin, um they must have known what they were getting. I mean, they know that he is mainly known for at least in terms of his successes, uh the Fast and Furious. So, when you put that kind of guy in charge of Star Trek, no matter who you have writing, I mean, you know, you're, I, I'm assuming you're expecting a primarily action oriented film. And again, I hate to keep beating this, beating this drum, but I feel like, again, this is part of the disservice that JJ Abrams is doing to the Star Trek franchise. Okay. Let's take it to the next level as to, you know, things that, hmm, things that kind of struck me as odd. Hip hop. Okay, hip hop. Oh, that hip hop. So we we meet. Um, I can't remember the alien's name. The Jayla, Kayla, the, Jayla. the martial artist. Uh, Jayla, Jayla, yeah. Jayla, the martial artist. Uh, we meet her, and you know she's using an old Enterprise ship as her kind of lair on this abandoned planet, and her you know fixing things. Music is Public Enemies. Fight the power. That was weird. And I'm sitting in the theater, and I'm just thinking. I mean, are, is this 19, I mean, wh- like, what year are we in? Like, this is corny. <laughs> this is not, this is not cool. And I, and I liked how they referred to it as classical music and that kind of thing. But I just, you know, and I love Public Enemy, by the way. That's one of my favorite songs. I love Public Enemy. I know Chuck D. I'm a fan of Chuck D. He's the man. He's actually a Trekkie. He tweeted that um he was very happy to be involved. And actually, the Star Trek uh Twitter account tweeted out. Uh, to Chuck D and, and thanked him for allowing the uh, franchise to use uh, his his music. But, I, you know, I just thought it was an awkward fit. And then later in the film, again, we have warned mm-hmm. you, spoilers, uh, later in the film, part of the plot device that they use to defeat this kind of swarm style uh, spaceship armada is this kind of sonic component that is... Uh, initialized by the music of the Beastie Boys and the song Sabotage. It was at this point in the theater that I literally, and I am not exaggerating, I put my head in my hands. I I, I just, I was embarrassed. Well, you know, like, um, I kind of had a similar thing when I went to see it today. I went to see it with a couple of friends, and, you know, when they're in the sequence leading up to that, they're just talking about, like, oh, they're the these swarm people. They're working on a frequency. If we can cut the frequency with another frequency, then we could knock them out of formation, and that would blow all that. I was like, oh god! Like I went, I I was like, oh god! And I turned to my friend, and I was like, they're gonna blast fight the power again. And she turned to me, and she would like the look of understanding yes, yes. dawning on her face, and then just like. Oh no. But then, you know, like, as you said, it was the Beastie Boys. But at that impo- entire point, like, all my friends, we just kind of looked at each other and we went, like, this is dumb. This is corny. This is yeah. Like- it just took me out of it. I, I just, no. No, I don't, yeah, you know. That felt like a pegism. That, no, no. Cause... 100%. Like, I could, I could kind of imagine him writing it and we were like, okay, so this is what we, you know, we're going to do this. And, you know, many people said yes along the way, so you can't blame him. Well, I mean, that kind of like, stuff 100%. works for his the, the Simon Pegg universe. If you look at um the – what is it? The End of the World? Am I saying it right? Uh, at the End of the at World. At the End of the World. Um, the zombie movie. Uh, Shaun, Shaun of the, of the Dead. Dead uh, you know, Hot Fuzz. That works, I think, in that world because it's this, it's this contrast of – these kind of American pop slash hip hop songs clashing against British 
you know, contemporary culture. So it kind of makes it's a kind of interesting mix, at least from my American perspective. But when you take that mix and you try to shove it against Star Trek, it just didn't work for me. Yeah, it was it was pretty goofy. And, you know, don't think I didn't notice that, you know, he wrote himself some more scenes than in previous movies in this. I did not notice that. I did not notice that. You did not? I did not. No, I mean, I, I thought I thought I was like, oh, he's in this movie a lot more than he was in the first two. Yeah, I mean, you know, so just I, let's just jump into the nitpick fest. So let's go back to um, George Takei's problem with oh. uh, Gay Sulu. Uh, here's my yeah. beef. Okay, so all of this hubbub happened. And then we find out that uh, when he actually does meet his so-called husband on this, uh, you know, space station, planet, planet-like space station – uh, he, the guy just hand, well, the guy, by the way, is Doug Jung, who actually, uh, helped, uh, Simon mm-hmm. Pegg write the film. Uh, the, the guy basically just hands, uh, Sulu their child and they hug as they walk away. And it, so basically it could have been his brother or his cousin or his uncle. And then we find out that there was a kiss, but it was cut. What? Yeah. So this, so, so John Cho. Uh, revealed in an interview, I think it was with, um, New- the New Yorker, vulture.com, uh, revealed that there, like, it wasn't like a makeout session. It wasn't like a hot and heavy, like, oh, I'm so happy to see you. You were gone so long. Gah, 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 gah. I mean, it was, it was more like a, oh, you're back, peck, peck. But apparently that was cut, according to John Cho. And so basically that could have just been his brother. Well, I think I think the way that they were kind of like, you know, arms around each other suggested at closer intimacy. But what I thought when I saw that, I was like, that's it. That's what this is all about. It's like nothing. Okay, whatever. Another thing. The next thing is, and I don't know if you caught this, but I'm going to list this as I'm going in on J.J. Abrams again. I'm going to list this as J.J. Abrams' mortal sin. And this should get him kicked off the franchise, in my opinion. They put the Death Star in Star Trek Beyond. Did you see it? They, oh, it, you mean the shape of Yorktown? You, did you see, like, the hologram? No. They're flying toward the end of the film. They're flying around Yorktown. And there's, like, a schematic of... I can't remember what it was supposed to represent... But it gets like a solid like three beats of screen time. And it looks for all the world like the Death Star. And it jumped out at me. This is the Death Star. And maybe, you know, hey, maybe this was a Justin Lin decision. Maybe this was a Simon Pegg decision. I think this was a J.J. Abrams decision. I lay it at the feet of Abrams. (laughs) Oh, man. So so you don't remember. You didn't see this. I did not see this. Yeah, well, so there's no doubt about it. It was there. I saw it. It was there. So. I believe you. Well, how about good stuff? What, what, what good things uh, did you take out of this? I liked Jayla, the the new character that they brought in. I, I was expecting her to be annoying because, you know, usually when they bring in a one-off character for a movie... They, they're not they're not always all that interesting. Sometimes they're just annoying, and you're like, I don't care about you. Get get off the screen. I want to go back to the people that I actually care about. I actually thought she was done quite well in terms of the makeup, the look. Uh, the actress is actually... Um, have you seen Kingsman, The Secret Service? Yeah, no, I was going to say, like, she was amazing yeah. in that. Yeah, so she was the woman with the, the knives for legs in Kingsman, The Secret Service. Yeah, and that's why I was kind of expecting to see more of her... Uh, fighting and kind of dancing. She's known for her dancing. I was expecting to see more of that, and I feel like we kind of got shortchanged. Also going off of her, one thing that I liked was the her use of the image reflectors. I that think. was very cool. Yeah. That was super cool. So, you know, just based on the premise of what our pod is, I, I went into the movie trying to look for cool bits of tech or science that we could talk about, and I think that was the one thing that I came away with as being like, yeah, no, that one, that was pretty cool, and I wonder if we're anywhere close to doing something like that. I think so. That was one of the few things that seemed like, okay, this is, and, and that's another thing that I love about Star Trek, is like, they show us technologies that are not outlandish, and kind of have roots in what could be. 
We have like the communicators. We have, you know, systems where you just talk to the computer. I remember when that became popular with Star Trek, we didn't have Siri. We didn't have, you know, uh, Amazon Echo. And, you know, Star Trek was kind of like one of the pioneers of, you know, just a human talking to, you know, a, a computer and, and the mm-hmm. computer kind of having its own personality. And so uh, going down the line, the cast line, uh, Idris Elba as Kral taught us that um, you can have immortality, but you'll turn into a horrible monster. Right. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, because yeah. he looked I mean, he was so transformed. And I don't know if in the film, I'm pretty sure that like if we, you know, if we get a chance to watch it again at some point, you can figure it out. But, you know, on the fly, I couldn't figure out how old he was, but it seemed like it had to have been like maybe a couple of hundred years at least. Um, yeah. And I mean, he was so transformed by whatever the according like in the film, they say uh, there's some alien technology that was on the planet that allowed him to extend his lifespan. Uh, but for some reason, it turned him into something that was unrecognizable as human. And then as he begins losing, well, no, wait, no, I think there's, um, so he sucks the life force from two other people and he kind of regains some of his humanity. And so when we do, it's not, it's not described or explained yeah, very well. That part is kind of vague. And so when we do finally get a look at kind of the somewhat human version of Kral, it's kind of like half alien crawl, half Idris Elba. And the only real looks at Idris Elba that we see are recorded footage of him, uh, you know, from when he first crash landed on the planet. Uh, so, you know, so again, I, I will repeat what I said in another in an earlier episode. <laughs> You're wasting hot hunk of man meat, you know, that some yeah. people would like to see. Um, uh, me. Me. Yeah, I yeah, hot like hunk of man meat. Of that. And instead, we, you know, we see Crawl, who who looks like some of us who when we first get up in the morning, you know, <laughs> little, little crag going on. Um, um, I, you know, when I was watching that, I thought it was just such a waste of his talent as well because he's such an expressive actor, and under all those prosthetics, you don't really get any of that. And it reminded me of Have you seen Thor: The Dark yes. World? It was. It really reminded me of how they kind of wasted uh, Christopher Eccleston as Malekith mm. in that film as well, because they just put him in a bunch of prosthetics. And Christopher Eccleston's another really great actor. Yeah, he gets wasted um, a lot, by the way. Yeah, but you know, you put a really great actor in a bunch of prosthetics, give them like a really crappy backstory and motivation, and then just kind of beat them around for a bit. Yeah, and I was like, eh, you know. Any anybody could have done this role. It didn't have to be Idris Elba, you know. And I love Idris Elba, so. And so to to go back to some of the negative talk, I'm sorry, hate to be the negative guy, but so another thing that kind of sticks out to me is the science. If you'll notice, uh, listeners, usually what we do is we talk about a film, and then we delve into the science of the science fiction. Well, what stood out for me with with uh, Star Trek Beyond is that there was this kind of fast and furious illogic to everything. There, there were things that happened that made no sense, that were not explained. And that's the, another thing that I love about Star Trek. Star Trek is almost always, or at least attempts to always be, scientifically correct or give you some explanation, uh, particularly Star Trek and the next generation, they were very diligent about, you know, uh, doing the research and giving you kind of a theory of what could happen and how some of the things they're doing on the show might make sense. Well, I mean, everything from, uh, crawls life extension to the swarm, uh, ships to, um, well, just to the, the, the finale when Chris Pine, uh, aka, uh, Captain Kirk is fighting Kral. Uh, okay. So Kral gets sucked out into space and the vacuum of space in the vacuum of space, right on the edge of the vacuum of space. Somehow Kirk can get zipped out of that vacuum by a passing ship. That, that just doesn't play. I mean, this is, this is fast and furious logic. I mean, if you, and I'm a fan of the fast and furious series, but if you look at the fast and furious series, I mean, they do things like they'll drive a Lamborghini out of a building window and that Lamborghini will fly in the air 
into another <laughs> building and land well, flawlessly and no one dies. Well, you know, I think they tried to cover that up with a lot of really fast, like, jargon talk <laughs> to kind of, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, when Spock would say something like, I believe you can disrupt the frequencies if you do the discombobulating with the frequency <laughs> yeah. radio signal. Yeah, Beastie Boys. You know, like, (laughs) yeah, you know, that entire thing just felt like a whole lot of, if you talk really fast and use a lot of multisyllabic, multisyllabic, scientific sounding words, you can put them all together really fast and you can maybe pull one over. Or, you know, people won't question of the thing where I forget who, uh, maybe Scotty is yelling to Kirk. He's like, the gravity might be wonky in the center of the thing. You know, I don't really understand how that would that that doesn't seem like it would 100 percent fly in real. I'm not I'm not a physicist, but that kind of looked weird. And then when Crawl was like, how do I get back into the thing so I can kill everybody? I'll just ride this air current of gravity. Yeah, the gravity jet stream. That'll work. The gravity jet stream. And I was like, I don't think gravity works like <laughs> and then, that. And then, and then Kristen and uh, St- uh, Captain Kirk follows him on the jet stream. And somehow they managed to get. I mean, this was fast and furious in space. Let's just say it. It, it was fast yeah. and furious in space with hot fuzz trimmings. It's a bit of a shame because the I think one of the ideas that they really kind of botched was the idea that, you know, because in the beginning of the film, Kirk is a little aimless. He doesn't under- He doesn't really understand the vastness of the universe, and it's kind of getting him down after three years on the mission. He literally says he's, like, he's bored, and it's episodic. Yeah, yeah. But guess what? Well, when he sh- said that, I almost like I I almost tuned out. If you're bored, it, dude, like how am I supposed to get excited? You know, and that might have that might have for some fans felt like a dig at the TV series as well. Uh, that came from the past. I don't know. Like, maybe that's just me reading a little too much into it, especially since a lot of the people involved obviously love the original series. But, you know, uh, you could have done something interesting with how vast space is and how that might, you know, impact the human mind and done something with that. But instead, it kind of just got lost in the, I don't know, in the must insert action sequence here type thing. You know, it just, the, the movie as a whole, in terms of length, there were there were bits where I was just like, "This is taking too long." Yes, yes, absolutely. And, and so, but just one more thing on Chris Pine. I have to say, okay, so his character, you know, initially seems bored, and he, you know, I think he's applying to be like an admiral on like a, a space station. He doesn't want to fly around anymore, fly around space anymore, uh, travel around space anymore. Here's the thing: his performance seemed like he was kind of bored with the character. I mean, he kind of has to play like he's somewhat listless, at least in the beginning. But I could kind of see where I like, you know, I feel I got that from a lot of the cast members, not just him. Ooh, not all of ouch. them. Okay. Well, not not all of them. I think John Cho was there. You just like John Cho. I do, but I think he was there for it. Um, I think uh, Simon Pegg was obviously there for it. I think Anton Yelchin was, you know, all in. The girl who played Jayla, I think she was all in. Uhura didn't have a lot to do, so, you know, she didn't have a lot to she do, and dazed. what she had to do wasn't interesting. Yeah, she got dazed. You know? She yeah. totally got dazed. And, you know, I don't know if I felt that Zachary Quinto was all in. Yeah, Zachary Quinto, he's interesting because, you know, I first became aware of Quinto from Heroes, and mm-hmm, I same. loved him in Heroes. And when he became Spock... I thought, oh, wow, this is, this seems like this is kind of an inspired choice. And the first installment, I really, I, I liked his performance. The second performance, it seemed like maybe he was kind of, I don't know, hamming it up. Maybe he was kind of believing himself a little too much. And this time around, I don't know. I feel like, um, I, I guess he's owning the character, but, um, I think more, more work needs to be done. I, I I feel like he's he's performing as though it's already a done deal. I'm Spock, you know. You guys know the deal. Well, maybe he was trying to act a little more detached, but I think the the whole danger of going real hard into the logical detachment of what the Vulcans are 
is that you look like you're detached from the role right. a little bit. Right. So maybe there was a little bit of that going on because his character arc was supposed to be like he didn't know if he wanted to stay. Well, that was, that a, geni- kind of that was a genius of Leonard Nimoy because he was able to embody that uh, emotionless, usually mostly emotionless, <laughs> illogical or logical, sorry, character. Uh, but still be a fascinating part of the cast and engage with the other members of the cast. And, and speaking of Leonard Nimoy and Spock, the the Spock Prime, as uh, Simon Pegg would call him. Uh, and this is the point where if you still think you, you're worried about spoilers, definitely don't listen to this next part. But, um, yeah, so they do this sweet uh, kind of homage. Oh, yeah. They do a sweet homage to the original Star Trek cast. And uh, uh, Zachary Quinto as Spock pulls out a photo that uh, was left for him by Spock Prime. And you see the original Spock, uh, Kirk, uh, William Shatner. I believe it's the first time William Shatner has appeared in any way in the new version of the Star Trek series. You see Ahura, you know, just just the whole the whole uh, old cast. And uh, it's kind of like a sweet nod to the old school. Yeah, like, uh, that was a nice moment in the film. It was just, I don't know, I don't know how to really explain overall when I walked out, I felt, all right, this feels like a blockbuster popcorn muncher. Right, right. So, you know, I, you know, I was actually thinking about you when I walked out. Uh, and I was like, you know, I think you, I, I had a feeling that you would be bummed that they didn't really engage the cerebral side of things. And, you know, you usually go into sci-fi films wanting at least a little bit of an exploration into, you know, the edge of where humanity is and where we could go. And I'm not really sure I got that. No, or, no. Like, or issues that we're dealing with now. And that's one thing that Battlestar Galactica did so well was that they would parlay uh, issues that we're dealing with in contemporary society and put it into a futuristic setting. And it's still the same kind of issue, just in a different like circumstance. Well, and well, the Star Trek did that too. The, oh, the original, and, not this yeah. one, like the original Star no, Trek. Yeah. I mean, not just the original, Definitely. but even the other Star Treks. Whether we're talking Next Generation, Star Trek Voyager, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, uh, Star Trek Enterprise, every Star Trek always made sure to hold true to the Gene Roddenberry tradition of tackling contemporary issues, uh, you know, in in a sci-fi context. And not only that, but using that sci-fi context to teach us a little bit about science and technology and either what's currently possible or what may be possible based on science. That's why, I mean, you talk to scientists, like real physicists, real theoretical physicists, so many of them are fans of the, you know, the original Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Now, if this was yeah. the Star Trek they had been exposed to as children, I don't think this, you know, this is what, you know, I don't think they'd be as big as fans. You know, I, I don't think they'd be fans of this version. Well, you know, it just felt like when coming out of this, I don't know what I would compare this into in terms of a contemporary issue. Do you, you know what I mean? Like there's, it's just fantastical in a different way. Well, I mean, if I really, really wanted to stretch, I guess I could say something about, um, you know, disaffected people, you know, feeling left out of society. And because they're left out of society, they decide to engage in terrorism. You know, I guess I could make that leap. But frankly, I don't think I think I would be giving Star Trek beyond too much credit. I don't think they make (laughs) that political. If, If that's what they meant to do, I don't think they were courageous enough to bring that home uh clear enough to to make that message clear because I, I you know to even think of that i had to reach like it took me a while to just think about oh well maybe it could have been that but it you know it really was just like you said like a popcorn muncher um i, I have a theory you know wrapping up i do i do have a theory so uh i don't know how many of the original star trek you've seen but um in the original series um, you know, from the sixties, mm-hmm. they, there's one episode when they go to an alternate universe and the crew, uh, we, we get to see the evil side of everyone. We get to see Spock with the evil goatee. Have you ever seen that picture? <laughs> I've seen the picture. <laughs> yeah. So I haven't seen the episode, but I've seen. The yeah. Picture. And so everyone on the crew is like this 
I, I, if memory serves, I could be wrong. I think uh, the opposite version of Kirk is like this cowardly, sneaky guy. Uh, Spock is just like super evil. I can't remember uh, remember which woman uh, from the crew becomes like this sex pot. And, you know, like on the normal Star Trek, you know, all the women are very, you know, prim, proper and professional. Mm-hmm. But in the alternate universe, this woman's just like, oh, she's just like all over people, you know. And so I have this theory, maybe when they – and this would actually be cool if this turned out to be true. When they talk about when, – when J.J. Abrams and uh, Simon Pegg, when they talk about this being the alternate universe, what if they said from the beginning, hey, let's take people into that alternate universe of Star Trek that you saw in the original series and eventually – like, we have to start out with the Star Trek crew that people are already kind of know so they don't get jarred and they don't they're not shocked. But over time, over, you know, the course of several movies, let's slowly move the cast into like what, you know, from that original alternate universe Star Trek. So so then th- what that would mean is like, let's say in two movies from now, Zachary Quinto has a goatee and he's evil. Uh, <laughs> Captain Kirk, no, follow me. So, uh, Chris Pine, look, he's bored now, right? Cap- the original William Shatner was never bored. Uh, Patrick Stewart was never bored. So now we have Chris Pine as, as Captain Kirk. He's bored. And that, that seems like fertile ground for him to become this cowardly guy. You know, something maybe happens to him down the road. Uh, now we, you know, we've kind of pushed Uhura to the side. She's getting dissed. So maybe she starts, you know, playing around. <laughs> Who knows? I'm just saying, I mean, you have to really see that original uh, alternate universe Star Trek to, like, get, like, all the implications here. But that would be fascinating. If just, – just imagine if however many years ago – I can't remember how many years it's been, five, six, whatever. Just imagine if when they first sat down to do this, they said, hey, guys, let's slowly bring these people into the evil alternate universe of Star Trek. How cool would that be? Frankly, that would be really bold. That would be so cool. That would be a very bold choice because you know they would piss off a lot of people doing that. Um, I don't know if they're brave enough to tackle that frontier. But that's a pretty good theory, right? Yeah, no, it's a good theory. <laughs> I don't think it's gonna happen that way. But I would be, I would be kind of like, I, I would have to tip my hat off to them if they did do that. I'd be like, dang, that that required both. So yeah, so we we don't have a lot of uh, science and technology to discuss to discuss this episode, uh, frankly, because it was a Fast and Furious movie, in my opinion. But we <laughs> we do leave you with a fascinating theory of what this might all be leading to: uh, evil Star Trek universe, evil Spock, <laughs> cowardly Captain Coward. Kirk. Um, and Cap- Captain Shirk, because he's so cowardly that he shirks all of his duties. Ooh, yes. Okay. Uh, <laughs> just going to forget you ever said that. And with that, we will call an end to this episode of the Mars Magazine podcast. Uh, you can check us out on iTunes, uh, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Google Play. And if you love YouTube, we're also on YouTube. You can visit us on social media at Twitter. Uh, at marsmagazine.com and or Matt, sorry, at Mars Magazine, and you can visit us on the web at marsmagazine.com. This is Adario Strange with Big Song, and we will see you in the future. <laughs>